Welcome to The Culture We Speak. This is your host, Diana Latimer Hearn. Join me today for a compelling conversation with Ms. Bahia Amawi, a Palestinian-American speech-language pathologist and activist who has been instrumental in defending our fundamental First Amendment rights. From the flavorful foods we eat to the rhythm of the beats we keep, our hair and clothes define what it means to be sheep. For centuries, onlookers have been captivated by our mystique and every aspect of our being that makes us unique. This is the culture we speak. Ms. Bahia Amawi started with a bachelor's degree in journalism and communications from the University of Florida. She worked in advertising for a couple of years. After realizing the environment of long hours, stressful deadlines, and lack of feeling any reward wasn't suited for her, she went back to school and graduated with her master's degree in speech-language pathology from Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She worked full-time with Austin Independent School District during the school year and at a health clinic over the summers until she had her first child, thus influencing her decision to shift to contracting so she could balance motherhood and still be involved in her field. Currently, Bahia is an active member of her Austin surrounding community. She is involved in the youth group and Islamic education outreach. She is a homeschooling mom, and she contracts without the anti-BDS law as a speech-language pathologist with Pflugerville Independent School District. So I just want to add, if you have not yet heard of Bahia Amawi, um, she has been featured across news sources in Texas and beyond for her advocacy and activism against anti-boycott, divestment, and sanctions legislation. She is also featured in the documentary Boycott by Just Vision, available on Apple TV, Google Play, Vimeo On Demand, and Prime Video. So after all of that, welcome Ms. Bahia to The Culture We Speak. Thank you. I'm happy to, re- to reach out to me, especially for a fellow speech therapist. I'm really excited. Like, yes, you know, I'm a speech therapist. Someone understands me more. So <laughs> yes. I'm honored to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much. So I'm going to dive right in with questions. I There are so many things we can probably discuss here. And the first thing I would like to know is sort of what prompted you to act in Texas mm-hmm. against the anti-BDS law? So just a quick aside, the anti-BDS law to which I'm referring was included in agreements governing contractual work with governmental entities here in Texas. This includes contracts for SLPs. It can also be found in dozens of other states. The contractual clause reads in part, contractor verifies that it, one, does not boycott Israel, and two, will not boycott Israel during the term of this contract or any extensions thereto. Boycott Israel means refusing to deal with, terminating business activities with, or otherwise taking any action that is intended to penalize and inflict economic harm on or limit commercial relationships specifically with Israel or with any person or entity doing business in Israel or in an Israeli-controlled territory. In other words, state and private entities are involved in the current conflict, many through anti-BDS legislation, such as this clause I just shared. This means that public and private entities have a hand in the ongoing oppression of Palestinians. As shared in my last episode on The Culture We Speak, capitalism is not a neutral force. It is implicated in all that we see unfolding in the current conflict. Yeah, so it's actually multiple factors, multiple factors that prompted me. Um, first, you know, it was, um, it's, uh, it was egregious in multiple ways. It attacked me as a Palestinian and mm-hmm. as an American. So it really hit me in both directions. 
you know, um, as a Palestinian, it was another blow to our legitimacy and our, our right for self-determination. And it dehumanized us, you know? And as American, if I have my First Amendment rights, you know, I'm American just like anybody else. And just because I don't agree with my government views doesn't mean I'm not entitled to exercise my right of free speech. So those things were the main issue. But then I also thought about my own children. You know, I was worried that this can grow into something more and they may add it to people registering for college classes, you know, because there are state entities as well. So mm -hmm. I was like, do my kids have to do this? So I was very like, I have to do something about it because I don't want something for them to inherit. I wanted to make sure that I pass on something that's positive and um, they feel empowered, you know? Mm -hmm. So this was uh, definitely uh, educational for them from that perspective because it was me along the, the whole time during the process of that year of litigation and, you know, going through multiple media events and so forth. So they were there during the court's hearing and, and uh, the final, you know, deliberation. So it was really um, a time for them where they actually saw what they learned in history classes come to real life in their own, in their family and their home. So it was mm -hmm. multiple things, really. And um, and it, it really was impactful because this not only impacted Palestinians, it didn't have to be Palestinian to be affected by this law. Yeah. Um, it was impacted Americans, also people who survived Harvey, the Hurricane Harvey, who were mm -hmm. trying to get money, funds from FEMA, were required to sign this oath of solidarity to Israel. It just was outrageous that how this could be passed by both House and the Senate without any dispute or any of that sort. And, and it went really went undetected. No mm -hmm. one knew about this law. And then they're very good about hiding these things because they combine them with other laws and they kind of just sign it all in a bundle. But yes. the fact that our politicians didn't even think twice to say, well, this is, you know, in violation of our constituents' First Amendment rights. And here we are signing off and compromising that for a foreign country that's an oppressor. So it had multiple levels and it was just, I could not let it pass. I could not let, you know, just continue with my day-to-day -day events in life and go about my work and not having this, you know, dealt with. I had to do something about it. And so it was a real no-brainer. The minute I saw it, I automatically saw the clause in my contract because it showed up after 10 years of working with the school district. Mm -hmm. And I contacted my um, supervisor and me and I said, listen, this is against my values and against my free speech. And she understood, you know, I've, I'm, I always had a very amicable relationship with her. I've known her and, and the district very well. They, they needed me because I was the only bilingual Arabic speech psychologist in the whole district and the surrounding okay. area. So there was no one else. And as you know, in speech therapy, it's important we do the evaluation in the home language of yeah. the students you know it really makes a huge difference in in the services and rendering them making sure they get the correct service and so she tried to go around it and she and and tried her best and then two weeks later she called me and she said I'm sorry you know they said if you don't sign it you can't come back to work the next day and so wow. literally overnight I had lost my job and then the, the, the team I was working on, the ECAT, the early evaluation team, also lost an important member of their yeah. team who they relied on dependently. Mm -hmm. And then students lost a service that was heavily needed. So they had to use interpreters for the rest of the year, which was, was really just a shameful thing. And, and no politician yeah. stood up against it. I mean, it was very public and no one even dared to say anything. And that's even, it was more uh, heartbreaking in that, in that aspect as well.
Yeah, and I and as you're talking about all of the consequences that rolled out as a result, mm-hmm. you know, affecting your students, affecting the families and the people around you and also the team you work with. There's so many implications of this, but again, it went unnoticed. And mm-hmm. I can say that I've noticed it. Um, when I first came to Texas, I realized that was in my contract. As I'm looking at the contract, I'm like, this is very random. Like, why is yeah. there anything in here about right? this, right? And at the time, not aware that this is abnormal. I'm just kind of like, this is weird. I've never seen this in a contract that I've had previously. Maybe this is a Texas thing. I don't know. But I'm noticing that it was actually when I looked at the boycott video and some of the other sources that you've been in, I saw that it's in many states, actually. Do you recall how many states actually had that? So in 2018, when I first discovered it, because that's when it passed that summer of 2018, and I was starting mm-hmm. in the fall again, we, you know, signing my contract and I do every year. Um, and so that was at that time, 26 states had passed okay. that law. Wow. Um, and it's basically a duplicate. They just copy it and they, and it's a template and they just mm-hmm. put it in the state and, and that's what they do. And, and if you guys watch the movie Boycott, it will give you an insight of where these originate from. And mm-hmm. this is something that is not just common to, um, anti-BDS laws or, or exactly. against cops, but also against, you know, um, African-Americans and voter restrictions and incarcerations. They have templates where they mm-hmm. go from state to state and you just fill in the state and their representative name, nothing else to do. And yeah. It's heinous, just heinous. Um, yeah. Right now, currently, I believe there are more states now. There's 35 states now. They have passed it. Wow. So because a lot of the even if they don't pass in the House or Senate, the governor issues an executive order, as mm-hmm. it happened in New York and Virginia. And, and that sounds like no matter what you do, you know, so we have to personally fight it. We have to go that extra mile mm-hmm. and, and, you know, um, exercise our constitutional rights. And, and it was really empowering, you know, to utilize the judicial courts and, and be part of this. And so something, you know, I taught my kids and I homeschooled them. So I like, they learn about it, but you never think it will come, you know, come back to you in any means. And I, I really um, became a kind of, uh, you know, had a, a renewed value of the Constitution, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, I, never, I can understand I that. never looked at it twice. I was like, you know, <laughs> it's not, but it's really an important document and it saved me. Yes, and you do have to know what your rights are, you know? And so even looking at this information, when I looked at Boycott and like I said, some of the things I read about you and about your activism, I was like, Okay, so I'm still seeing this at times in contracts, and that's not legal, um, which now means that I need to speak up when that comes up, Mm -hmm. because I really, honestly, had no idea that this had gone as far as it had. And that's another thing is a lot of this information is even suppressed in different ways. So depending on whether or not you're actually actively looking for information on this versus, you know, like what's going on around, you know, in your community, you don't see it. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, unless you're really politically involved, you would not know this happened, you would not know this law passed or that it was, you know, eventually repealed. Um, so you, you wouldn't know this stuff, you mm-hmm. know, you would not. And then, unfortunately, the, the state itself, the, the school district, even the next year had this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They, they were using the same papers, the same document as the year before. They haven't updated it. And I that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so that's my concern is that well, how much of this continues because it, it's the paperwork that was already in place. It's the process that was in place and we're not going to question that process. And so that's my, my concern at this point is yeah. now that it has been changed, we need to actually implement that change and make sure that right. people are following through. It's so important to speak up. And I think that's really the, the lesson out of that, you know, that whole year with my kids, I always tell them advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And now they're in college, three of them are in college and they feel like sometimes, you know, the, the grading wasn't correct. I'm like, advocate for yourself. 
you yes. go say something. Don't accept it. You know, yeah. nothing's going to, all you do is you try. And that's it. You do what's in your capabilities, what's in your control. And and that's all we can do, obviously, what's in our control. Yeah. And what happens, happens. But if you don't try, you will never know. Exactly. And so there's, and really there was an example of that. You know, I never thought it would go to this distance. To me, <laughs> I wasn't even aiming at winning or losing. I wasn't thinking about winning or losing. I was just focusing on taking a stand, you know, showing my kids, trying mm -hmm. to do what I can in, in that aspect, because I wanted to make sure people are, are educated about this. This is going on, mm -hmm. that our rights is being, you know, violated as American citizens. Mm -hmm. And it's being violated to support an oppressive country. So it was really, I wanted mm -hmm. people to learn about, be curious why this is happening, what's Palestine have to do with my job, you know, mm -hmm. with my money, FEMA money, uh, what has to do with me as a judge on a team in a, in a college, all those yeah. things, all people to be curious and really start, you know, causing them to want to research on their own and learn, and also to really take a stand on these things and not just accept the status quo. Exactly. It's easy, particularly before now, I'd say now with the things that are going on in the Middle East, it's not quote unquote easy, but I think that in the past, it was easy for me to gloss over this and think, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with me. And it does largely mm -hmm. have a lot to do with me. And I recognize that if anybody is being oppressed, if anyone is being mistreated and denied their inalienable human rights, then that has a lot to do with me. You know, right. <laughs> it has everything to do with me. And so I need to be conscious of this and I need to be aware. And that's part of the reason that I built the platform. That's part of the reason why I want to have these types of discussions is so that we can promote awareness of these things that are going on in the world. And at the end of the day, this local situation that we're talking about, I think really ties to the global situation that's unfolding, you know, and that we're watching mm -hmm. unfold now and becoming more conscious about not that it's new information, but that it's stuff that we needed to be conscious about for a long time. Right. Can you talk a little bit about how this local situation and how these laws within different states, these anti-BDS laws, actually play a role in the global situation we see unfolding at this point? Yeah. So the anti-BDS, it was a grassroots organization. It started in 2005 in Palestine. It's the, it's the kind of um, in, in modeling after the South African apartheid and the, um, and mm -hmm. the South African boycott. Um, and so the idea was to um, hit Israel where it matters, the economy, you know, and mm -hmm. the companies that are um, helping and, and investing in Israel. So that, because we know money talks, we know that when it comes to companies, they look at their wallets first. And this is what drives a lot of the political um, decisions that happens in government it has to do with money. And that's why mm -hmm. these politicians are so um, quick to support Israel because they're getting funding. Again, it has to do with money. So you have to follow the money trail, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to boycott any companies that uh, have uh, investments in Israel or do business with Israel or any, any company that's Israel-owned or um, has in the settlements um, in order to make sure that we um, show our, our um, disapproval of it and stand with our Palestinians in solidarity and, and, and make, hopefully make them change their, their behavior toward the Palestinians in regards to their rights. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been very, actually very successful, and we know that because of the laws that's mm -hmm. been coming out, because obviously they have to do something to counter that. And we know that's been successful, and, uh, and it's growing tremendously. And especially now with everything happening, the, the boycott movement even has grown even further to even to Westerners and people of non-Palestinian origin, non-Arab origin. Um, and more. But the, this whole anti-BDS law is not the only thing that restricts Palestinians, however. And there's a lot of censorship laws as well in the school systems, in education, for as far as social studies curriculum goes, for sixth grade curriculum, social studies, and the world history class in, I believe, in 10th grade, you cannot use the word occupied 
You cannot wow. use the word settlement. Yeah, you know, there are certain terminologies that are not allowed to use it. The word Palestine is not mm -hmm. allowed to be utilized. Palestinians is Palestine itself is not, you know, so I love all these things that censor um, mm -hmm. the discussion. And you can't, of course, now there's a law coming out. You cannot say anti-Israel anti rhetoric because anti-Semitic. So they use, they use, they weaponize these terminologies. Mm -hmm. And they really, at the end of the day, I think it, it hurts the Jewish people themselves. We mm -hmm. know anti-Semitism does occur and it's real. And, mm -hmm. and ironically, it's always happened by white European mm -hmm. Christians, not by Arabs, not by mm -hmm. Muslims, definitely by Muslims. And to this day, we have never, ever engaged in anti-Semitic rhetoric or anything. Um, we actually work, uh, a lot of the organizations work with Jewish for, Voice for Peace and the um, Jews uh, Against Zionism organization. So we work with a lot of Jewish people. And, and Jewish people have always coexisted with Palestinians mm -hmm. way before the occupation of the British in Palestine. And have coexisted and have always, the Jews have sought haven with, with Muslims. That never came from us. But it's so it's ironic how they're making it seem like that is that we are the one anti-Semitic when actually mm -hmm. Palestinians are Semites themselves. We are original Semites. I mean, I trace my ancestry uh, just personally from my grand-great-parents up to 300 years. But mm -hmm. we go back to the, we're from the ancestries of the children of Jacob. Okay. Um, and so we were at some point Jewish and then converted to Christianity and then to Islam. So mm -hmm. the, the Jews were always referred to as Jewish Palestinian Jews. That's what we have to Palestinian Jews, Palestinian Christians, and Palestinian Muslims. So it's, it's just ironic how they twist the words and they change them in order to censor people and to really fear monger people, you know, like mm -hmm. the word Hamas now, you can't use it because it's labeled as a terrorist, right? There's mm -hmm. certain things that, that they use and, and it's to also to steer it's careful not to talk about the topic. And and that's why they say it's complicated. Now, there's a lot of jokes about that even on um, uh, late night television shows. I forgot mm -hmm. which um, late night television I was watching one time and and they were making fun of the conflict and saying, we can't talk about it. Don't say that word Israel. Don't say the word mm -hmm. Palestine. Because people are just scared to talk about it. And it's yeah. not complicated. You have two groups, the oppressors and the oppressed. And, mm -hmm. and you should not be supporting the oppressors. If you were, had any value for human life or are you for humanity, you would be on the side of those who are oppressed. It's a simple thing, um, you know. And so... And so it's, it's interesting, but the censorship really extends all the way to college as well. There's a yes. group called the Canary List, which any um, college professors who speak about Palestine issues or advocate for Palestinians or criticize Israel are placed on this Canary List so they can get fired. Students mm -hmm. who are active in SJP, the Students Justice for Palestine or Palestine um, Solidarity Committee, they're placed on this list of Canary List. So when future bosses are looking up the students on social media, they will see them on this list, which shows anti-Semitic. And the minute you say anti-Semitic, that's it. You're on that mm -hmm. list. You will not get a job. And so there's a lot of different censorship that tries to scare people and not talking about this topic, this issue. Yeah. But it, it's, it's still not effectively working because we're still going on. And, and that's something we are resilient and we will not la allow a job stop us from, you know, not speaking about regarding our self-determination and amplifying the voices of people who don't have voices because yeah. uh, our Palestinian brothers and sisters don't have a voice. They, they cannot yeah. say anything, cannot do anything. Anything they do, they're, they're faced with some kind of violence. So this is our job here to do with them. That mirrors a lot of what we see in our own politics currently around fear mongering and around promotion yeah. of the, you know, controlling certain types of information from going forth, controlling what types of words are appropriate, um, even taking words and colonizing words and using them in a different way. That now doesn't mean what it, it used to mean so that the power is taken away from that. 
you know, there are a lot of things that are happening that are very similar and look extremely parallel to what we're watching unfold here as well. And that's why I think this discussion is important. And also, you know, for anybody who's facing oppression and all of those types of challenges that you've just outlined, there is no other way aside from beginning with that conversation. We have to start with conversation. Mm -hmm. And as speech pathologists, I'm sure we understand that even deeper than than many people do. You know, like the communication is a very basic point, you know, having your voice, having a platform, having a a space in which you can have these discussions because that's where change occurs. And without it, Mm -hmm. then we... Yeah, yeah, we don't. I I totally welcome any you know communication with anybody. And I always, and when, when all this happened, I reached out to my neighbors and I said, I know that this is a very very confusing time. You have a lot of misinformation going on in the media, but please reach out to me if you want to know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, please, there's no question that's silly. I'm happy to talk to you about the topic. And, yeah. and I think it's important to have that open dialogue. I reached out to my colleagues as well that I work with. Um, you know, so they can know they can come to me, that mm-hmm. they don't have to be worried to ask me a question, it's going to offend me, or is it incorrect, or, uh, um, you know, because that still, fear mongering is still present, it is yeah. so seriously present, and our government does a good job of that. <laughs> yeah, then it prevents that conversation from going forth, and then no one is learning, and no one yeah. is even intermingling with different groups. So, I mean, yeah. even the idea of hosting right. discussions with people from different backgrounds, you know, that is so important. And there are systems in place that have worked so hard to separate and to segregate and to position people as like, oh, that that other group is the other, right? They're the outsider. Right. They're the ones that don't belong or whatever. Because of that, it prevents any type of learning from taking place. And yeah, you absolutely. can engage in conversations to the listeners. You can engage yeah. in conversations without completely changing your mind. It is okay to engage in a conversation and learn the other perspective and then use what it is that you need to use in order to understand or to be a better citizen. It does not mean that you have completely conceded your beliefs. If you talk to someone who is not, they don't exercise the same things as you, it does not mean you can't have that conversation. Right. Because absolutely. it begins with a conversation. You have to have absolutely. a conversation. Absolutely. I mean, I remember back in college, and a dear friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, we talked about this topic so much and we just kind of agreed to disagree. Yeah? And that was mm-hmm. okay with me. I stayed friends with her. She stayed friends with me because we don't have to agree on everything to coexist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's I don't okay think do it's that. possible for you to 100% you know? agree with any other yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> after my lawsuit came out, it became public. You know, it's been, of course, we didn't have social media during our time growing up, so I was never able to stay yeah. in touch with her. But then she reached out to me when she saw my um, lawsuit, and she shared something really beautiful and made me teary. She said, Bahia, you were right. Everything mm-hmm. you said was correct. I had a chance to go to Palestine and to visit um, Hebron. Hebron is one of the hardest places to live as a Palestinian. Mm-hmm. The security the the cameras i mean it is it is one of the most horrific places to live if you're palestinian they treat you like animals you have absolutely zero rights there you can't even walk on the main road your house is on the main road your main front door is facing the main road you cannot enter from your front door as a palestinian you have to go from the back or from the rooftop you are not allowed you have to walk on the the grass or the dirt road you're not even allowed to walk on the main roads and it's it's very reflective of the civil rights movement here in america Mm -hmm. how the blacks you know african-americans here were you know segregated and they were discriminated against only white faucets but this is for the black faucets it's similar in that aspect there's signs that says be careful with palestinians on the street you know it's that degree and she saw that with her own eyes and mm-hmm. that's what made her understand it. And people don't understand what's happening on the ground because it's not shown, unfortunately. That's, again, yeah. going back to that censorship we're talking about and restricting certain things that people are able to see. And the media is part of that. The media is part of that yeah. censorship. And we've seen that now with what's happening, that mainstream media has been 
just reporting from the Israeli narrative. They're not even entering Gaza. They're not even seeing what's happening there. They're getting really the information from the IDF. And, mm -hmm. and it's all been debunked as lies, everything they've said. But they continue spewing it. You yeah. know, and it's causing a lot of repercussion here in the United States, as we saw with the the child who was stabbed 26 times by his landlord, yeah. you know, who he used to play with. He used to play with this kid all the mm. time. They were so friends, you know. And, and then that fear monger came in, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he just, uh, something happened that caused him to go stab a six-year-old kid 26 times. Um, yeah. And so those th things that happened, but when she saw it, my friend, she called me up and she said, oh, you were right. I happened to go and I, with my church and I saw what you were talking about and I understand now. And sometimes it takes people to really go visiting the occupied yeah. territory. People visit the Israeli side, which is mm -hmm. happy, utopian area, nothing going on. Most Israelis themselves do not understand what's happening on the side. Just like yeah. during the civil rights movement, the whites had no idea yeah. what the African Americans are going through. And the same in apartheid, right? like you mentioned right. before. It's they were oblivious, <laughs> oblivious mm -hmm. to what's happening until they see it for themselves and experience that. Then mm -hmm. the only time they will really comprehend it. And that's what's happening. And so she, I was really, I was moved by the fact she reached out to me all those years and to tell me this one thing. And I got to reconnect with her. And she actually held the viewing of the boycott documentary yes. back in Florida. So I was, I was really excited that she was mm -hmm. able to, you know, to finally see the truth. And, and I'm mm -hmm. hoping people do after listening to this, you know, podcast and want to research on their own. Because you really have to understand what's happening on the ground. You're not getting the picture. You're not getting yeah. the picture. Yeah, and until we have the voices of the people who are experiencing it, we don't have that full picture. But there's so many things in place to prevent that. And it makes mm -hmm. it very hard to actually get that input. And that's why, you know, again, this is part of the reason that I created The Culture We Speak. I wanted to uplift voices that typically may not have that opportunity to be heard. I can't make it right, but I can do my part right. to create a space for that because there are so yes. many things, even in my own walk uh, in life in the U.S. experiencing, you know, racism and things of that nature here. As I'm walking through that, there needs to be some way to share the experience to say, hey, there's there's a better way. There's a different way we can go about some of these things that we're doing. And, right. and, and just to start the conversation, because again, it begins with us being able to sit down and have an amicable conversation and, and move forward from there. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing. It's uh, It moves me to see so many people, you know, like you, you know, who are trying to really educate people and to spur their curiosity. So I appreciate yeah. that. And, and honestly, when I looked at the the laws that govern some of the contracts that I hold, you know, because that has been in there in the past, um, me not being aware of the changes that have happened and all of this until digging into your story again, um, it in some ways tied me down from being able to speak up, from being able to mm -hmm. say what I want to say. And that is also a problem because that's not the country that we live in. That's not the place that we yeah. are part of. That's not what we are here for. That's not what we stand on. That's not nothing to do with our First Amendment right. And I see I how a lot of these discussions are also recast then as anti-Semitism and it's not going against no. any specific group. We're not no. attacking any group. We're not, you know, coming for anybody. The point is, if there's oppression happening, we have an issue with the oppression that's happening and we have to stop mm -hmm. that. And unfortunately, the, the word anti-Semitism is being overused and misused yeah. and abused. And really, it's meant to protect the Jewish people of Jewish faith, yeah. not Israel. So when you say anti-Israeli rhetoric is anti-Semitic, you're protecting Israel. You're not mm -hmm. protecting the people of Jewish faith. And that's going to eventually lose its value. You mm -hmm. cannot just haphazardly throw that word around. It's eventually not going to stick. 
-hmm. and it's just gonna hurt our brothers in the Jewish faith, you know? And yeah. and that's unfortunate because it does happen. Antisemitism has happened here in the US, it happens yeah. in Europe, yeah. you know. So but it's gonna really affect in a negative manner. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to bring it back to sort of what we can do here. I mean, we're talking about where we can get started. What is it that the average American would need to know and understand about the current, and I'm going to use air quotes here that people will not see, but the current conflict in the Middle East, you know, what is it that we need to do even to take action? Is there anything we should be asking our representatives? You know, what can we do here? Yes, thank you. That's a very good question. First, understand that... Um, What's happening in the Middle East is the first day was not October 7th. <laughs> yes. it, it was a buildup. And people, unfortunately, make it look like that was that was the first day. Yeah, day one. <laughs> day one of the... No, they have to understand the history. Understand what the Gazans have been going through for 17 years. I don't think anyone, anyone in history has ever experienced what the Gazans have gone through. First of all, they may look like Israel gave them the land. They they pulled out of Gaza, you know, as a good gesture. But that didn't happen that way. They put a whole wall, electric wall, around the whole entire perimeter. They can't even go in the ocean and fish. That's yeah. how limiting it is. They're not even allowed to have rainwater. They see them collecting rainwater in barrels, they will blow the barrels up. That's the degree of control. They control how much water goes in. They count the calories of the food that goes in. They limit humanitarian aid. I mean, they suffocate the people to the degree where there is just no livelihood at all. Mm -hmm. And then every so often they have something called mowing the lawn, which is this actual tactic they have, the Israelis, called mowing the lawn, which they go and bomb Gaza to reduce the population. It mm -hmm. is heinous, heinous to a certain level. And our government knows about it. Our politicians know about it. And they just turn a blind eye. It's basically having someone come to your house, take over your house and put you in the garage, you and your family, and then lock you up in an electric fence around you where you cannot even leave. You can't even enter. You can't even leave if you want to leave. <laughs> to that degree, you know, and then allow a certain amount of water to go in, just enough, you know, that you can still breathe, but you're not enjoying life or you're not having a livelihood. What would you do? I mean, there's just some degree where the person is not going to just sit there. Who would just sit there and take it? You would not. No one would just be complicit to that. And that's what they want from the Palestinians, just to take the occupations, you yeah. know, and, and just be complicit with it. And they never pulled out. They just put more restrictions on them. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's unfortunately what, the, again, the lies. So I, I would say that people understand what's happening. Look into any any, any alternative news outlets besides mainstream media. Mm -hmm. so I would say, uh, please avoid mainstream media. <laughs> that would be my <laughs> first advice. Yeah. If you're watching mainstream media, you have no idea what's happening. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. You know, so watch Democracy Now!, you know, watch the other outlets say, well, I am Palestine, follow I am Palestine, because actually they just take videos of what's happening on the ground. You know, watch other social media outlets uh, besides uh, the mainstream media. Um, go uh, join the Jewish Voice for Peace. Watch them, what they, what they narrate, what they educate as well. You know, mm -hmm. there's so many different outlets that you can go to besides mainstream media. So you can educate yourself. Yeah, there's a, a lot of books written that you can read, you know, Rashid uh, Khalid is the one. So there's a lot of textbooks you can actually go out there and read that can educate you. So it's, it's important to know the history of it and why, why is it happening? Because mm -hmm. I, I don't think most people understand what it builds up to because become, it becomes so normalized. 
Yeah. When it comes to normalized where we're just like, oh, it's just, you know, the civil war between Palestinians and Israelis. And it's not really a war because it's not proportionate. You really can't call it a war. Yeah. But hold the representatives accountable. Ask them, how did you vote on the anti-BDS law? Mm-hmm. You know, hold them accountable. Ask for a ceasefire. Demand a ceasefire. Keep calling. Keep writing on emails. Asking, demanding a ceasefire because we want to save lives. You know, yeah. end the occupation. End the occupation will save Israeli lives and Palestinian lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the idea. Because if you end the occupation, you are solving the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, end the siege on Gaza. And so demand these things. These are things going to save lives. Because people saying that they want to, uh, you know, the bombardment of, of the of the bombings on from IDF to the, the bombings of Gaza is to save Israeli lives. So it's not going to save Israeli lives this way. Because mm-hmm. it's going to continuation. It's not, to save Israeli lives, you have to end the siege on Gaza. Mm-hmm. End the occupation. Pull out from all the illegal occupation um, under UN, the West Bank, and, and the Gaza Strip. Go back to the Green Line, at least, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the idea is for the, actually, the two-state solution is no longer uh, on the table, and we never wanted two-state solution because it, it wouldn't be fair anyways. I mean, the Palestinians have never, even at the time of the mandate of the British mandate, even were included in the Balfour Declaration. And the Balfour Declaration was the original document that allowed the Zionists to have a homeland in the state of Palestine. They didn't even mention the Palestinians as if they didn't exist. They only referred to them as non-Jewish population. And they were not given any political right. When it was divided, Palestine and Israel, the Israelis got what usually a state would be entitled to, you know, army, the political you know, decisions, they got the government. Palestinians were not even able to get sovereignty. It was that, that part of their land, that Sahab, mm-hmm. was given to the, the, the client of the Britain, which is the King uh, Hussein of Jordan. So Palestinians mm-hmm. never got any sovereignty. So whenever they had a peace agreement, Palestinians would get a tiny autonomy, but Israelis would control everything. And so again, these these false narratives to make it look like, oh, we give them peace, but they rejected it. And this, mm-hmm. is, this is what you see also in textbooks and history books. So the kids yeah. grow up learning this stuff, you know? Yeah. So another thing, yeah, that's parents also can do, that part of that control. Yeah. Yes. And now as a, as a parent, this is what I'm, I'm encouraging other parents to do, because I did that during my kids' time when they were in school, and we had tried public school for a while. Um, and I would, before the topic comes up, I would ask the social studies teacher, I want to see the topic, the material on Palestine and Israel. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I would tell her this is not correct, this is false narratives, and you cannot teach this, this is a disservice to the students. We have a voice as parents, we have power. This is one of the strengths that we have as parents. So I encourage you as parents who have kids in sixth grade and any world history class in, in um, tenth grade, please speak up. Yeah. demand that the truth be taught and not to use any bias um one narrative material and unfortunately it is and, and that's what you see and, and all if you look at any of the history books now about palestine israel everything says the arabs rejected the palestinians rejected the israelis gave land to you know pulled out from the occupation all, the, all these wrong things because they're it's just comments without context and that's yeah. what it is it just comments without context behind it um, and, and the context and is the part that we need, honestly. That's, I mean, context exactly. makes all the difference. If that's we're giving exactly. information without the full picture, then it doesn't it doesn't mean yeah. what we think it yeah. means. That research representatives keep. I mean, I would, we're calling like almost every day, twice a day, because they record the phone calls more. So if you send mm-hmm. an email, it only counts as one, but the phone call you can call multiple times and it counts every time. And okay. even if they don't respond, I know because my politicians are Republicans, so I know they're not going to do anything. <laughs> But the staffers listen, believe it or not, 
the staffers pay attention. Mm -hmm. and, and so at least I'm educating them. So for me, if I educate one person, that's success for me. So it's not yeah. like, what's the point? We can, I can easily say, what's the point? My, you know, I have yeah. 10 crews. <laughs> And, it can be discouraging. And, you know, I'm trying to my representative and, and Carter. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. so what's the point? But no, I still do. And I get the, you know, the rebuttal back and I re respond back. I kind of just keep responding back to them. You yeah. know, someone's reading it. Yeah. I know they're not reading it, but someone is, and that person is getting educated. And, and that to me will help because he will educate somebody else and it will continue. So there's yeah. nothing you can say that I can't do anything. What's the point? And unfortunately, if we do that, then we're not going to have any change. Yeah, know? and that's we, that's where it gets discouraging, too. I, I feel yeah. like if you don't see the change, sometimes it can be very hard to feel like you're making an impact, but you are actually making an impact because, like you mm -hmm. said, if you're reaching one person who can then carry that message or who can then reach out mm -hmm. and do something or who can use whatever their resources enable them to do, then you have made change. And so it's not just about reaching everybody at once. Right. It's about right. making change where you are and standing. Absolutely. Like you said, you said you took a stand and you stayed in that position and you kept taking a stand. And and again, that's how activism happens. You stand where right. you can and do what you're able to do in that space. Yeah, so. and we see we saw that in the past in the civil rights movement. Obviously, mm -hmm. at first it was difficult, you know, very difficult. But of course. the more we continued and continued, I was really moved by the, the boycott of a whole year of people not taking the bus from the after the bus the bus boycott. You mm -hmm. know, it was it was very moving. That's in the movie, by the way, too. Yeah. It was just moving to see they were resilient and continued for walking in the rain, snow for a whole year until mm -hmm. it was overturned and then you can sit on the bus wherever you wanted to. And I think that's a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure it was exhausting. It, for anyone who has probably oh, yeah. experienced it, I'm sure it was a trying time and very exhausting, but it takes time, you know, and it's still a lot of changes is needed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's a little bit, it moved a little bit, right? And you keep going and you keep doing what you can. Yeah. Yeah. It does definitely. But I definitely encourage everyone, please, to reach out to representatives and just demand a permanent ceasefire, demand an end to occupation, demand that our tax money is not used to, you know, continue this oppression and support oppressors. And I think that's another thing is about $3.8 billion a year being sent to Israel. And, and it's just, and that money could be used here in our country to help disparities in, the, in, in, in communities, minority communities, and educationers, and health insurance. I believe I read that 30 million would solve the homelessness in America. 30 mm -hmm. million. That's over the past 10 decades of getting uh, funding for this. We would have solved it already. It is this. It's again. These are crimes against American citizens. Mm -hmm. The crimes of violating our constitution. Crime of using our money to go support oppressors. It and is as humanity. Americans. Yes, mm -hmm. it is humanity. And so we really need to have. We need to just keep calling and keep messaging, speaking at you know city councils and demanding all these things. And the more people that get involved, eventually they they will have to change their mind. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I've definitely seen a wave, a turn, you know, a definite shift in wave in this because I, when I was younger, I would protest with my parents. It would be like, you know, maybe a hundred people or so. In a college, it was, you know, a little bit more. And then when I had my own kids, okay, it was two hundred people. But nothing like I've seen in the past few years, especially this past year. We had like mm -hmm. ten thousand of Texas, the Texas uh, protest that mm -hmm. we had, which was the statewide protest here in Austin, and it was just the. the different groups of people it was just amazing and it was really moving to see that people finally are opening their eyes and i can see it's been working it's finally working and so definitely we can't stop now 
And I've seen too um, in work I follow by uh, Angela Davis, where she's talked about mm-hmm. the solidarity mm-hmm. between uh, movements such as Black Lives Matter and the BDS and all of these different groups are actually working in, in concert. And that is what leads to change. And that, again, is what's being attacked in the laws that we've discussed here is that type of solidarity is the issue. And that's what they're trying to prevent. And so we really have to work right. to not be thwarted by a lot of these laws that are happening and a lot of the things that are working against the idea of solidarity across national groups, across countries, across, you know, because we're in this global society and we're in it together. And if there is anybody being oppressed, then we have to all speak up for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And these alliances are very important because the minorities, when they get together, will become the majority. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a key, I think. You know, and I hope we'll continue to work together um, like that to, you know, address yeah. many issues here in, the, in this country alone, too. Yeah. Okay. You give me a lot to think on, like. It's all, it's, um, it's, uh, really. And, it's, and, um, I, and I like that. I appreciate that. Like, it's challenging. And I, I appreciate that about the conversation. I really do. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a lot. Definitely. And it's, um, it's interesting just how what's happening just changed the whole entire perspective of people and how they're viewing things. It's, I'm catching people on social media talk about it as like they just woke up for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's been really a moving time, to, I have to say, it's, to see that people talking that way. Um, and fascinating. It's just fascinating how this has become the main topic now. And it's yeah. been there for 75 years. It's been always been kind of a, it's like a passing, oh, you know, it's just a, a, one sentence in the media, oh, the Palestinians, this and that, and that's it, but nothing more. But this time it, it hit people hard. And I think it's because the, the genocide is happening in Gaza. There's just mm-hmm. people are baffled how this could happen by the international community right in plain sight and they're not doing anything about it. I think it's just it, to see it in real time, it, it's it's we, we read about them, but we never saw it in existence, you know, in our time and generation. So, yeah, that's unfortunate, uh, unfortunate. It is. And and I don't know that there's another word or another way to frame it. It's horrific to see that happen. But then also, like you were saying, that it's gone unnoticed or ignored or been allowed to continue. And, and we're complicit in that. If we're not yeah. speaking out, we're complicit. So um, we have to do our part. And I definitely boycotting is is a huge part of this and we have to hold companies accountable we must make them conscientious of what they're doing um and spending and where they're investing and we must hold them accountable as consumers important we can do it we again this is our power it's harder in a political game you know to change Ted Cruz's mind <laughs> but we can do our part in ever in the different areas you know and so with people I encourage them to visit the, the BDS website and see what is on the list and try to avoid it and it's really not that difficult my kids and I and my family we've been boycotting for a long time and it's just I, I buy alternative things and, and thank god we have so many options and I just think about the people in Gaza who have zero options because they don't even have anything coming in at all not even water so we're blessed we would not realize it boycotting here and here okay may inconvenience us a little bit but at the end it's really helping save a lot of people and um, change an entire nation hopefully I want to bring it back again because the work we do, in particular in schools, but just as speech pathologists, it's so important to be culturally aware and to recognize that our own lived experiences and our own values are not the same for everybody. They don't all have the same perspective. And I'm seeing this a lot online. And I say this probably every year, but I'm seeing a ton of Christmas celebrations for the end of year at school. And I'm like, 
okay, great. Some of us are Christian and celebrate Christmas, but everybody does not. And so to be inclusive, we really have to think about the cultural experience and the lived experiences of others and identify themes or activities that will be inclusive of other faith groups, other races. So I want to ask, what are some things that SLPs and educators should be doing to support students who are directly or indirectly experiencing the atrocities that we're discussing here? You know, how do we better support students who, even if they're removed from that situation and don't have personal stakes or ties to that, are experiencing violence and seeing this stuff happening. Mm -hmm. How do we support them and what are the things we can do in our educational spaces to be more caring and more patient and more giving um, in ways that are supportive and tangible? We have to kind of change our outlook and how we test how we treat and, and think of the culture behind it and understand where each child is coming from. You know, so don't assume that they're all group in America, they're going to have the, the same American culture. Yes, they will have part of it, but whatever they're at home, it's going to actually influence them as well. You know, as mm-hmm. far as the food, the, the clothes and the terminology, you know, all of that matters. For me, the my, my area of evaluation for Arabic has increased significantly after the Syrian war and the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a lot of refugees. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so definitely we have to be sensitive to the fact that they were kicked out of their home, what they experienced while, you know, in camp. So we have to understand that they may be slower in learning. They have a lot of emotional, you know, issues going on, possibly things they remember from the time of the wars, things that we may not even understand, but we shouldn't just be too hard on them. Just like take it slow with them and know where they came from understand mm-hmm. their background everybody has some kind of background yeah and so if you're getting a new student um, who doesn't speak very good english for instance obviously they came from somewhere understand that history where they came from because kids who are in refugee camps they've, they've seen too much they've seen more than we have seen as adults um, and there's a lot going on uh, with them that school is not their first priority or first concern yeah. You know, and so they may not be easy, willingly to speak or participate in therapy and stuff of that sort. And so we have to see it's not reluctance, but maybe something else going on. Right. So again, we have to just pause uh, and just and, and be human about it, be caring about it, you know, um, mm-hmm. and more understanding. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you have any advice, final thoughts for the audience? Yeah, so I want to encourage everybody to watch the boycott because I think that's really Oh, it's going to be linked on everything that I post so, about this, so don't so worry. So now it's for free. I just found out it's for free now. So mm-hmm. actually, you can watch it at justvision.org. I appreciate the, the production team that decided to make it for free um, so people can get educated on this topic because it really yeah. is more relatable to uh, our American citizens because this impacts them directly. The boycott mm-hmm. directly impacts them. And I would just say, please keep posting on social media. Please keep researching on this topic and understanding what's happening on the ground. So I, I definitely just encourage you, please just, you know, ask questions, talk about it, um, and reach out to people who maybe have a better understanding of what's happening on the ground and watch alternative um, news outlets. Democracy Now! Is, is a very good news outlet. I think it's, it's very objective. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's one of my favorite ones to go to. Um, don't just take what's happening on mainstream media. Do your own research if you can. Read books. Um, there's so many different things online and, and so many um, available textbooks. I can share them with you as well. The books okay. that you know that you can post them on as well for people okay. to read to understand the situation. And I think that's really is, education is key. Education yeah. is power and it is really what's going to help change things. And we've yeah. seen that in our own country. Once we're educated on a topic, understanding the people, take time. 
is my number one thing is education. I'm in the education business yeah. just like you. And to me, that's just valuable. That's something no one can take from you. Yeah, and it comes back down to education and conversation. It does. And, yeah. and absolutely, absolutely. Because there's a lot of misinformation going out there. Mm-hmm. And so by you being educated, by us being educated, then we can, you know, kind of uh, filter out those misinformation from the real information. And, and, and look at biases. It's very visible to look at biases in the mainstream media. When you have only the IDF reporting things and saying things um, and showing videos, then like, wait a second, there's something wrong with it. I mean, come on, let's just kind of be more insightful and, and really tap into your executive function under like, okay, wait a second, that's kind of weird that that's the only thing they're showing us, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so, so there's a lot of things that were debunked, but I think people could have figured it out on their own as well. Because all you're getting is just a view of the IDF and, and nobody else. So we can and call out this mainstream media, write to them. And say, yeah. you know, we need to just keep writing, taking a stand, because eventually some, another group will be in, taking the place of Palestinians and they will become, you know, the, the ones who are oppressed. And so we need to stop at some point so nothing else happens again. We can't keep yeah. repeating history. We can't. Yeah. And that's exactly right. It will continue. It will just keep happening to another group if we don't mm-hmm. stop but we have to stand up like you said absolutely thank you so much thank again you. for being a guest um you know just love the work that you've, you've done and all of the efforts you've put into place and and changing the law here and and just making the situation better for contractors so i do appreciate you for that yes thank you i know now people know about it so don't sign up <laughs> Listen, I'm, they're going to know about it because I'm going to post like all the links. So <laughs> that's a great way to start that conversation and to get it rolling. So yeah. um, I appreciate you so much. And um, if there's Thank anything you. that I can do to support you, appreciate definitely it. reach out and let me know. I appreciate your time and I value you. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Culture We Speak. I'd like to extend a special shout out and thank you to Dr. Yolanda Holt for her guidance in the development of today's episode and her ongoing mentorship and support. For more content and resources on this and other topics we've covered, visit theculturewespeak.com or join our group on Facebook.